Hey guys, what's going on? Just give me a second. One second. Okay, cool. Well, some of you just actually came off uh, my stream that I was doing on YouTube. <clears throat> so kudos to those of you that did. Uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, I hop on for an hour uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Talk about a lot of the stuff that we talk about in these call-ins. Uh, call-ins are a little bit better because they're, well, they're both recorded, but the call-ins are a chance for you guys to actually ask questions directly, have a little bit of a conversation. Um, and if I miss, if I miss any of your comments or your questions on the stream, this is a, a like an appropriate place, I guess, to bring them. So we talk about markets, talk about really anything, as I've said in the past, besides religion and politics. <clears throat> Um, so sometimes the markets are boring and conversations could go elsewhere, but it's clearly not the case in the last, uh, 48 hours. Yeah. And, and for those of you that, um, are not, uh, coming from the stream, we touched on a few points. So I'll briefly just go over them. And then, um, I want to use the Tuesday and Thursday call-ins and again, shout out to Colin. They're phenomenal team, phenomenal, um, company. They, have integrated now with everybody. So in the beginning, it was just Apple and it was tough because it was like, ah, you know, listen to call in, you had Twitter spaces, but you could only listen to call in and follow this podcast if you had an iPhone. Now it's across all devices on the internet. It's on Spotify. You could listen into this from Spotify, from Apple um, iTunes podcast. So it's great. David Sachs is great. Always been a fan. Um, I've always listened to his podcast, the all in podcast with Chamath and, you know, uh, Two other guys that their names are escaping me right now. Um, so anyway, uh, shout out to them. So briefly just touch on um, what I talked about in the stream. So these two, again, Tuesday, Thursday, call-ins are going to be follow-ups to the stream. Half hour, that's it. So half hour, make it quick. So when, when you guys come on, be mindful of others' time. Uh, tomorrow, I hop on a call-in to end it. So weekly wrap-up. And that's that's a little bit longer and we could be a little bit more long-winded, but these will be for the primary purpose of following up the streams. But for those of you that missed the stream, we briefly talked about legacy. Clearly, um, there's legacy momentum right now that's in the driver's seat. Crypto is not trading, you know, idiosyncratically on its own. It's it's exposed to legacy risk right now and all markets are moving down and it's not going to bottom until we seek some kind of stability in equities. And it's probably not going to be the case until... You know, either everyone that can sell is sold uh, and we sell to all the people that are value buyers, um, long term funds, pensions, um, hedge funds, wh whoever's uh, going to be buying at these levels. I mean, there's plenty of people that are buying at these levels, but the, the point is, it's going to be tough for all that until we have a case where the Fed is more accommodative, um, less punishing. We haven't even got to that yet because we're not even into quantitative. Uh, we're not even into the balance sheet runoff yet. We're just into uh, the interest rate portion of things. So it's a very tough environment. Don't fade the Fed now. It's just working in a direction that maybe not many are familiar with, um, especially if you've been around for the last. I mean, if you've been around at all in the last 15 years in markets, it's been kind of one way uh, as far as the regime has been. So we have um, a big event, obviously, with Luna, UST. I mean, I could continue to go on and on about this. I don't. I feel bad for, I don't want to. I feel bad for everyone involved. I mean, you get involved in the stable point. It's a bit, you know, the risk is there, um, especially if you're 
one, you have counterparty risk, you have regulatory risk, you have uh, interest rate risk normally to deal with in crypto. But when it comes to stable coins, that's one thing where people can really concentrate in, meaning they put a, a, a good amount of their wealth in there because they feel like what? It's going to be stable, right? So normally when it comes to taking risk, and especially in a highly speculative risky market, concentration risk is something that you can control, right? It's like the one risk you can really control. I mean, you control whether or not you're here. So that's one thing. But, you know, you control how much you put into a position, how much you expose yourself. And with stables, it's, it's easy to assume that there are a lot of people that have the bulk of their portfolio, their savings in Luna. And especially you know, when you consider that in the face of what takes place in legacy, or rather what's available in legacy, I should say, there's no, there's no yield available, really. Um, so there's a lot of people that came to crypto that didn't even have involvement with Luna or, you know, didn't want to place any directional bets. That's what I'm getting at. And they just heard about Luna and they put their savings in it because they thought, well, who the hell wouldn't want to generate this kind of yield? Like this is unheard of. And that's unheard of. It's not unheard of. It's just, it's, it's there for a reason. That risk premium is associated with the risk that's involved with getting involved with smart, smart contracts and getting involved in entering crypto to begin with. So it's a terrible situation. It's a reminder that everything can fail, right? And I, sh I shared a book last week. I said that everyone needs to read When Genius Fell. It's about long-term capital management. They were the best and the brightest and, you know, Nobel Prize winners. And they had they were a, head, a hedge fund focused on very niche ARB opportunities. Um, and when, the Russian, when Russia defaulted on its debt, they had to get bailed out. It was a major collapse. Uh, and they were, they were sort of too big to fail, right? To sort of wrap it up on a positive note, as I said in the stream, there have been cases where there have been major meltdowns in markets. This is sort of along the lines of what I would describe as capitulation beginning. Um, it's not the bear market beginning, but it feels like we could be beginning the period of capitulation that leads to probably a more boring period. And then again, we'll, we'll, we'll be up again. Uh, and I say that because I was around during um, the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, I'm pretty old. I'm not that old, but I, I was around. I was just, I was in college, so I was trading markets, but I was not, um, I was not trading them at all like I am right now. Uh, I was trading a personal account, right? I was, I was messing up accounts since I was a, a young kid and could get access to a brokerage, but I was around then. Um, and in March 2008, you had Bear Stearns. In, in September 2008, you had Lehman Brothers. Too big to fail, right? And they failed. And uh, the market still dropped a lot after that. So the S&P dropped, I think, another 30. I think it dropped another 30% after that. I, I could be wrong. Just sort of <clears throat> back of the envelope, I think, from the high to the low was what? There was like a 50% drawdown. Um, maybe more, maybe slightly less. Don't, uh, don't quote me. But the point is, after those events happened, within that year, the market had actually bottomed. So the market had actually bottomed within the following year of those events and was back to more or less up only. Right. This is not to say that, you know, things can't be different. Um, if, if anything, it's not a comparison of technicals at all. It's just uh, it's the idea that things terrible things happen and then, you know, they they come to pass and and lives are changed and you know all of that. And it's, it's terrible, but it's a very it's a very natural. Um, it's a very natural thing in markets. Right. They're adversarial. They're dangerous places to be. They're not, as I said the other day, warm and fuzzy places. They feel like that for a while, but uh, if you don't come to them with skill or humility, they will prove to you that you don't have that, that you don't have skill, and they'll they'll provide you with humility. So anyway, I want to 
open this up because I don't want to <clears throat> talk too long in the beginning of these ones, these ones, these sessions. Mike, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, man? Hey, uh, just to uh, refresh your memory, I was the one who uh, we spoke maybe a month yes, ago yes. in front of the Trader Mercury. Hope you're well. Yes, what's up, man? Hey, uh, I'm good. I'm good. I just, you know, I, I, I don't want to obviously keep it too long, um, but there are two things that I had a question about. Um, and one kind of stems from what you were talking about with stables and inherent risk. So um, obviously you've been in the space much longer than myself. Um, I am seeing a lot of people on Twitter say, hey, like, you know, although it's not a big DPEG like UST, hey, like I'd rather move my stables into USDC than US Tether. Um, from my understanding, right, like the differences that I knew were that um, you know, Tether is obviously offshore, but, and I correct me if I'm wrong, like USDC, it's backed by treasuries and cash. Do you have a particular like opinion on, um, a, if you're safe in like volatile market conditions in either, or, or like given what happened with UST, you're like, Hey, like maybe it's actually best to be in like straight cash versus stables. I was just hoping to hear your thoughts on that first and foremost. And if, you know, for instance, right? Like if there's a particular reason that individuals that have been in the market are going with USDC, like, do you know of any of those reasons? Yeah. So yeah, I do have pretty strong opinions on it. <clears throat> so the, the peg with, you know, the tethers peg briefly is, was off and it's, it's recovered since. And it's not, remember, it's not like an open market for that. That's what it could be redeemed at. It, there was actually an incentive to keep it open for a little bit and not close it. There was plenty of people that were taking advantage of essentially what was a free art. Not really something that I was worried about at all, um, specifically with Tether. That doesn't mean that I think that Tether is the best option in terms of stable coins. It's definitely the one that's like, oh, uh, you know, the, the one that I'm a lot more uncertain about because you really can't verify the, the, a lot of the things that they claim, right? Like I can't, and that may, I can't verify anything when it comes to Circle either, but I know that Circle is more in with the legacy and TradFi types. Um, they were backed by, I believe they're backed by, uh, BlackRock, um, and they are held in more high regard by people in TradFi, like the larger institutions. I trust Circle. I trust USDC more than any stablecoin. Uh, I think it has the best chance, uh, when it comes to being favored by regulatory bodies or spared by regulatory bodies, whatever that means. Um. USDT, from the people that I know that are sort of much larger money in this market, there's really, they say that there's nothing to worry about, but that doesn't mean anything, right? Like everyone thinks there's nothing to worry about until there's something that's really worth worrying about. So I don't really like my, my sort of order of my order of um, like how I think of stable coins is USDC, um, Binance USD, honestly and then USDT. The truth of the matter is though, you don't have to be in any of those. Um, so you don't have to be exposed to, to Tether if you don't want. You don't have to be exposed to USDC if you don't want. And you could still be stable because of what happens when you actually lock in your position with futures. So if you are trading, are you familiar with synthetic USD? Yeah, so like that would be something on Mirror Protocol, but I know that that's no longer in existence because of what you know happened. With no, so Android. you don't need um you don't need a protocol to do it for you. 
This is like the old school method of anyone who traded back in the day on BitMEX before there are any stable coins and you could get into USD at all. It was always like, well, if you're going to be on a, on a futures exchange, like shit, I don't want to be exposed to the underlying at certain times. I want to be able to take off my exposure, but there was no USDT. There was no USD available on that. So what you do is if you have, let's say you have $100,000 on an exchange, you're on an exchange that offers a futures product, BTC perp, whether it's a linear futures contract or not. All you have to do is short the equivalent amount in contracts. Now in perps, in linear futures contracts, most of the exchanges it's one for one. There's some cases where the contract specs are different. Usually it's with alts. But on, let's say like, um, for example, do you trade on Bybit? Um, I use Binance. Okay, so let's say you're on Binance and you're like, I don't wanna be in USDT. I don't want to be in Binance US, you know, BUSD, and I don't want to be in USDC. I have $100,000 on the exchange. How do I protect this, but also get flat, right? I don't want to be in, I don't want to be in Bitcoin. I just want to be flat. I don't want to, I want to be Delta neutral. That's what you want to be. Right. So all you do is you would short $100,000 worth of contracts, the equivalent in value of contracts. And because your margin is in, Bitcoin, if it's a, let's say it's an inverse perpetual swap, as the price goes against you, even if you're short, you can never be liquidated. The position will not lose value because the margin is going up in value and you're shorting the equivalent amount of contracts that is losing in terms of the short side of the position, but it's being made up for it as the underlying goes up as well. So if you have you know any kind of amount of money, $5,000, you want to get flat, you just short that amount in BTC contract and you're essentially right. removing... You're removing your exposure to the market and you're getting delta neutral. Right. So, so you're just, whatever you're doing, you're longing and you're shorting the same exact amount at the same time with Bitcoin as the underlying. Exactly. Or, got it. Okay. That helps a lot. And I was going to well, say, you're I mean, not, just, just to clarify the language so there's no mistakes. Yeah. You're not actually going and longing more Bitcoin, right? I think you know that. But by, by a lot of, the thing was like when you originally going on BitMEX, you were already long. That's like where the concept and the saying of, oh, long your longs came from. Well, you're already long, right? But you're taking advantage of convexity by this, at this point, longing a, you know, instrument on top of something that is margined in the underlying instrument. So by being in Bitcoin, you're already long Bitcoin. So all you have to do at that point is express the short side of the trade equally to the underlying, you know, equally to your portfolio. And if it's just Bitcoin, whatever your portfolio value is, like whatever dollar value Got it. is at that time. Got it. So, but you you do have to hold Bitcoin to do that. But you, I mean, if you, for instance, if you hold the underlying in Bitcoin and you do it very quickly, right? So there's minimal price fluctuations, and at a similar amount that you're shorting, like the same size contract with the same leverage, like you're good. Yeah. So one Does thing that, that you can do is it, it's easier if you honestly. So you could either. So just very quickly, like let's say you you go into your exchange and you see your account balance says a hundred thousand dollars, right? Then all you do is you're going to go sell $100,000 worth of contracts. I don't remember exactly what Binance is. I, it might be 100 contracts, a dollar for every, it might be a contract for every $100. I don't remember exactly what it is. But if you're on using a perpetual swap, like a, not the USDT margins future, it's usually just one for one contract for a dollar. So all you would do is short $100,000 and then it locks in that value on the BTC that you had. Um, Got it. If, if uh, I was going to say something else, just real quick. Uh, shit, I might have actually just forgot it. Um, that's, a, that's a good way to, to remove your exposure, right? But not be exposed to any 
to any stable coin. Another way, oh, oh, sorry, this is what I meant to say. Without having to do the math, if you don't want, you could actually adjust your, you know how there's the leverage slider and it could either be right. one yeah. or cross or, you know, any right. kind of multiple. You could just set it to one, right? And just short your portfolio. You know, you could just 100% at 1x leverage. So you could click 100% and it'll pull up your account value at that point. And then you just short that value. Got it. That's, that's great. Yeah. See, you've been in this for so long that you have those little tricks. I mean, that obviously, I mean, my, my only concern that in that way would be that like, you know, I don't want to keep all my money on an exchange. I know that that's kind of like a separate conversation, but in, I guess to follow up, like finally, cause I know like, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I mean, is there real, like, is there something that could happen in the market like systemically that could cause USDC to depeg? I mean, it sounds like I'm being a little like, you know, over the top and thinking that, but again, like, I just wanted to talk to you first. I mean, there's these things, DPEG, I mean, if you look at more people are probably looking at stablecoin pegs in the last couple of days than they've ever looked at them. I've always had a watch list on my trading view for all the stablecoins just to see how they're trading with relation to the dollar and how they're trading with relation to each other. So like, if you don't, if you don't do that, then you don't know things like why today Binance was trading much higher than Coinbase. So Binance in the last two days has been trading like $150 above Coinbase for ETH, BTC, and any kind of relative, relative USDT pairs. And if you didn't, if you just looked at that alone, you might say, well, holy shit, like someone is really bullish on Binance because they're buying it so much on Binance that the prices are not kept in line. But the truth is Tether is actually off its peg. So that's why the Bitcoin price was higher. Um, they actually lose their peg quite frequently. So if you look at like a, a stable, a chart of like USDC, USD or USDT, USD or uh, more popularly recently, UST, USD, you'll see that they actually, there's a lot of fluctuations. Um, and these things, they do occur and they've happened way more extreme in the past. I was around in 2008 and this was, um, in 2008, this was towards the end of the longer sideways period before we actually broke down. Um, it was actually, I believe it was- 2018, I mean. Sorry, yeah, 2018, October, 2018. Tether lost its peg and the whole market freaked out to the, to the extent that Bitcoin, by people jumping into Bitcoin to get out of Tether, because as you can imagine, if there's any kind of risk with Tether, people are going to jump right into Bitcoin. So this could pump Bitcoin massively. Um, Bitcoin pumped 20% uh, in a very short amount of time, like uh, ripped up 20% because of this. And this was, it was completely recovered. And, and it's, it has happened many times where it's briefly lost the peg and it's always recovered. And, and um, uh, while I do think that it is the riskier of stable coins, I'm not necessarily worried about it. Like it's not something that sits in my, the, you know, the, yeah. my forebrain every day. Got it. Yeah. I mean, that's cause I, I just see Twitter, you know, how people are there. They get crazy. Uh, and I'm just like, well, I think know, that everyone not to interrupt you, but I think it's a point to get into right now. It, after a time like this, when there's major fear in the market, the best thing you could do actually is probably just get into stables and turn your Twitter off for like a week. I mean, I know, I know it takes a lot because it's like your fear porn that like, draws you. You want to continue to like, look at, it's weird uh, sort of like voyeurism that people have. Um, and it's the worst thing you could do because you just see all of this conjecture and all of these very uninformed opinions thrown out and you don't know who's who. Um, and so you might see someone with a really big following and think well, maybe they have a little bit more uh, wherewithal than someone who doesn't, but it's probably the worst thing you could do because it'll make you make really rash decisions. Um, 
and the truth of the matter is like what is big actually happened already right it's happened already there's people that were really hurt um and now it's all sort of the knockout effects after something big happens where it's the market's sort of waiting for the other shoe to drops in, in in a sense right and and i mean it sounds like usdc is so i mean it's not fully back but i mean i do know that like you know blackrock has some involvement in it it's in that one in particular it sounds like the likelihood that that depegs like that would basically mean that there was something like very very wrong on the inside and it's probably unlikely. Would that be a safe opinion to say? Yeah. I mean, there would have to be some kind of like tether released today that they backed um, their stable coin with less paper and more treasuries, uh, you know, which is good. But there would have to be something major. And at that point, like everyone's jumping into Bitcoin and it, it would it's almost like it, it would lead to it would lead to a massive movement in Bitcoin and probably Ethereum. Um, and it'd be a matter of you getting in in time, but I, I don't foresee that as being something worth thinking about enough to where like, you know, continue to entertain it. Um, they are the most, I think, trusted yeah. stable coin. I think in the next year, honestly, there's going to be enough changes where you don't, this is the direction we're going and the regulation is going to, is going to bring is you're not going to have to be thinking about this as much because technically, you know, your bank, you're insured to a certain level by the FDIC. Right. But beyond that, you know, you're kind of, you're on your own. So these are things you always deal with when you put your money in an institution and those things will be like understood, but there'll be less of like this, this lurking uncertainty about whether or not someone is like, like, for example, whether or not Tether is being honest, like you'll have ideally with more regulation, you'll have more checks and balances and auditing and accounting that that really provides confidence so that you don't have to have these issues on Twitter. Um, yeah. There's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, and this is what I'll leave you with. I was going to ask another question, but I don't want to keep keep you too long because I know you have other callers. But I mean, it's not like you're like, holy shit, I need to move my my stables into cash, like into my bank account. Like you're th- no. this. I mean, you've been you've been around enough to know like when something's like you know an amber alert. I mean, I was it, it honestly it was one of my friends who is who's a he's a huge bear. He's been right about a lot. He's a huge bear just by nature, and he's just like like all a hey, man like these stables are, you know, fractionally backed by, you know, dollars, you know, it just, you know, how it is with those, with people like that. So I'm glad, uh, you know, I, I don't have to move all my money back into the bank. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. I mean, listen, banks are fractional reserves. It's not like this is the first, right. That's in traditional markets. That is, uh, that's how banks work. So, yeah, you know, do we have to worry about a major run? I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. All right. Fair enough. I'll, I'll call in tomorrow with my second question. It's more about TA stuff. But hey, as always, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Mike. All right. Talk to you. All right. We have, uh, we have some more time. Someone else want to jump in? I'm just looking at my spaghetti chart of relative performance for today. And it looks like Ape, Axie, and near are holding up the strongest in the last 24 hours. And the rest of the market is just taking a dump. Anyone else want to hop on? We got a few more minutes. If not, you know, I could just always ramble. Um, I mean, just to continue with what I said in the stream, uh, if we're going to accept, I mean, it would be very unlikely that the market would just 
bottom below, right below 30. It's either we accept back within the prior range soon or we're going to expand much lower. Zoli, what's up? Hey, what's going on? You just got to unmute yourself. <coughs> You're still muted, but. Uh, now? No, I can hear you now. How you doing? Uh, hi, man. Hi. Uh, what I want to ask is um, uh, what are the ways or indicators to know if we are heading into recession, if there is such? Um, and I'm asking this because everybody's on the extremes saying either recession is not going to happen or the other side, you know, we are all going to die. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the signals for the recession that have been most actionable is the yield curve, right? And that usually mm -hmm. gives a signal that is that proceeds far out, though. So usually when you have the yield curve inversion, it's, it's around 12 to 18 months that you could expect a recession to follow. So we had that recently, and then we immediately saw in the last couple of months that there was already, we had a, a GDP, at least in the United States, negative 1.4%. Um, so GDP was bad, right? Which is a sign that things are already, um, already not so hot. Uh, the economy as a whole, it's, it's said to be really strong in the United States. We'll see, I mean, how, how much longer can an economy sustain inflation, rising prices, fuel, foods going up, with things in the United States now in certain, certain areas where like <clears throat> uh, baby formula is really difficult to get, diesel costs going up, you have, to, you have to concern yourself with the whole entire agricultural industry. So it's a slow moving set of events though, right? It's not like uh, something in, you know, a technical uh, that a chartist would say, oh, this immediately means this or that. It's a much slower chain of events and we're already kind of moving in that direction. So it's not necessarily good right now that you have all of the things taking place in the macro and then now we're in a downward moving market and also we're in a downward moving market with, with uh, yields going down as well. It's a sign that, yeah, things are probably, they're probably gonna get a little bit worse before, they're probably gonna get worse before they get better. Um, the, the question that a lot of people had, and, and this is like, Again, this is bordering conjecture is that the Fed possibly wanted to hike into some kind of some kind of moderate recession, um, just enough to like crush demand, right? To to deal with inflation by basically putting us in a recession. That's how they would combat inflation. Uh, that's probably a shock to a lot of people because that's you know it's a it's a really tough it's a really it's it's a really you know unfortunate tool to have to pull out of your arsenal because it implies hurting a lot of people. But that's sometimes it's like, it's almost like you have to cut the, the limb off to ensure that the rest of the organism, like, let's say this is not the best idea because if you get a snake bite, you don't have to cut your arm off, but the, you know, sacrifice some to preserve existence for the rest and, and continuity rather. So there, there's the case for that, whether that they're doing this because they actually do want somewhat of a recession. Um, I don't, I mean, I'm, this is not my area of competence, so I can't talk too deeply on it, but it looks like we're headed toward one by all, by all measures. And the one thing that makes me less confident is actually when you have people like Yellen and Powell that are coming out and they're like with their hands up, like, you know, we're really confident we're not going towards a recession. We're really confident. It's like, okay, 
they sound like they're doing damage control right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a bad situation. After COVID, that was a wrench thrown in a system um, that was very fine, clearly pretty finely tuned. <clears throat> and like, can, um, it, can it just mean reverse from any time or, or that would take time? I mean, they have a goal, right? They want to see that inflation comes down. Um, the the target for inflation in the timeline seems kind of untenable, but I don't know. They're explicit. They have a goal. They want to see inflation come down. It's still very high. Uh, CPI was 8.3. You know, maybe the next CPI is coming in lower and it's it's having an effect, but that's a very small impact on CPI. 8.3 is really, you know, think about the idea of you losing uh, what the, what the math is, maybe in 10 years, half of your money is gone. Um, that's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it shows you how difficult it is to preserve wealth over time. If anything, it shows you how difficult it is to preserve wealth over time and like pass it down because you have to deal with that, right? That shadow tax inflation. Um, but unless, so the one thing that could happen is and this would be bad though, right? Because it kind of leads to more or less more of the same. Is if they continue to, if markets continue to suffer and, and get to a point where something breaks, whether it's credit market, um, I don't think it's the Fed put level that everyone you know used to rely on, which is 20% off the index. I think it's probably more like at least 35 to 40%. Unless we get to a point where markets break and then they have to pivot, right? They have to they have to stop QT or slow down QT. Or completely pivot and as Zoltan said recently, go back to QE in 2023. It, there are people that believe that you know they have to keep printing, like we're in this position where they have to keep printing at some point. I'm again, I'm not smart enough in that area for me to even continue to talk because I just I don't like mm, okay. I don't like talking about shit that right. I don't know Thank a lot. But I think you get the idea. Like we're kind of in a really rough spot right now. It looks like we're headed towards a recession. But um, you know, maybe it's a more mild recession. I don't know. Uh, can I ask a different one? Yeah, of course. Uh, like uh, when you when you when you want a want a trade setup, for example, uh, what are your average win rate or risk reward ratio? I'm just curious. So my what win are rate, your statistics? Yeah, of course. So my win rate over the last six months is around sixty percent. So that means mm -hmm. that. I'm wrong 40% of the time. I think that's probably the more important detail to focus on. You're wrong a lot. Like almost half the time I'm wrong. My risk to reward is at least 2.7 to 1. So it's, it's, it, it works, right? It, it's, it's actually, that is a really good win rate. So I, I know people yeah, that yeah. win 30% of the time. You'll, you'll see people that are like very guru-ish talking about, you only need to win a quarter of the time. Yeah, that's, you, yeah, I mean, you could, but it, you'd have to really get some banger trades to continue to trade for a living like that. Um, scalping, it, it's easier to have a higher hit rate when you scalp, honestly. So there are times when, like, so I have, uh, a, <clears throat> I have a program. I use a combination of, of manual journaling, but I like to use the actual program. So there's CoinMarketMan that's available for crypto people. There's EdgeWonk, and this displays all your stats. So I know exactly what my best days of the week are, I know, you know, where I excel at, whether it's long or short. Um, so I have an idea of like when I should stay out of the market, when I'm most active, when I'm when I'm best off rather. Uh, that is like over the broad, like my entire, all my accounts, put it that way. 
on my on my I, at one point, and this was like I was way more organized last year, but things have kind of gotten it's been a little bit more slippery the last couple of months with what's taking place macro. I've been like less focused on keeping separate accounts and oh this is going to be my my scalp account. And this is my long term swing account. I don't have that anymore because there's really nothing to, <laughs> there's no like really big plays that you want, I want to take. I've just kind of molded everything into one account. But before I did all that, I had a scalp account that my hit rate was upwards of 75 to 80%. And that would, I could keep that and maintain that for a month or two. And then I would always deviate back towards what is my larger, my, my broader average, which is 60%. So I think it's safe to say 60% is, has been my win rate now for the last, I mean, as far as I know, I've, in the last two and a half, three years, it's been, I've went through periods where it was 40%, 45%, 50%, but I've been favoring the 60%. Uh, I've been favoring that side of the quarter, at least for the last couple of months, for the last six months, not a couple. Uh, my, mine is like uh, 50% and the risk reward is like uh, 1.9. That's great. But but that's just the uh, last uh, 100 because I just started using this uh, edge sheet. It, it, if you know one, that. Yeah, there's, uh, that's why everyone needs to journal. So they actually have yeah. some kind of stats. Yeah, yeah. And, the be- and I'll finish with the last thing. The, one of the reasons that <clears throat> one of the benefits of rather shorter term trading is that you get a better idea of what works and what doesn't faster, right? Because I could say, well, I have this idea of, you know, I want to see if there's edge in this um, or if this is a mechanical setup that's useful. Okay, so if I'm a lower time frame trader, that, that's usually going to mean I'm going to find the under trades to put behind it in a lot shorter period of time than someone who's a swing trader. So a swing trader might have an idea on the market, but he only gets to swing at the pitch, you know, five times in a couple of weeks, whereas a, a lower time frame trader can take hundreds of trades in a short amount of time and, and get that, you know, that data to really back up whether or not there's evidence for the setup or there isn't. I'm more like a momentum trader, like a swing trader or momentum trader. But do you know, do you think there is an advantage if I try different kind of trades too? Like I'm, I think I'm really bad at these scalpings and, and such, but, but I want to experiment. Well, I mean, you have to find what suits your personality, honestly because they're going to involve different levels of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're not really able to be really passive as a lower time frame trader. You have to be a lot more attentive, a lot more active. Um, but at the same time, by being a lower time frame trader, you could compound money really easily in good conditions. You know, as long as you know what, cons- what constitutes good conditions and worthwhile conditions to trade within. And you're also less exposed to, <clears throat> by being a lower time frame trader, you're less exposed to tail risk and you know risks that accumulate that that increase as you have exposure over time. Like you're exposed to more risk if you have a position on long, right? It's just a it's it's common sense. Um, but you have to trade what you're comfortable doing. Right? You have to find what works for you. You have to make sure that one what you're doing is not just comfortable, but it actually is it's effective, right? So it can't just be oh I like to I just like to sit in front of the computer, so I'm gonna be a scalper. And it can't be, um, I just want to be a swing trader because I don't have time in front of the computer. You might not have time to sit in front of the computer, so you find that from a lifestyle standpoint, it's better to be a swing trader. But you might suck at being a swing trader. You might actually be a lot better at, at paying attention to what takes place in a lower time frame. So it, it's, it's definitely, there's no, 
one size fits all. There are certain markets that are better to approach with different strategies and approaches. And crypto happens to be one that's, you know, very momentum driven. So you're actually, you're in the right market if you're a momentum trader. Um, that's why I always said it's good to be a generalist in this market because it, it, it's, it allows you to skin the cat in many different ways. Right? It's good for a scalper. It's good for a swing trader. It's good for momentum traders. But, you know, you have to be able to distinguish what, when it's the right time to approach the market with those approaches. At the end of the day, like when you trade long enough, there are people that they stick to just very specific strategies. But again, I think in crypto, what I realized, because it's not something I would say for legacy, but in crypto, because, well, it's over now, for now. <laughs> but when we go through these bullish periods, it really pays to actually have multiple approaches because um, you don't want to be constantly cutting off your returns because you're just a lower time frame trader when you're in a really robust momentum driven environment. You want to be able to have those longer, you know, you want to be able to capture the tails and to be able to, to be able to have exposure to the underlying market longer and not just be cutting yourself off at 2R, 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 right? Do you do um, these different types? Like, do you do swing trades and, and low time frames too at the same yeah, time? Absolutely. I, depending on where we are in market structure, that a lot of the time that, that givens, that will govern what kind of, if I'm going to rather swing at all. Um, but that has to be in a really nicely defined area of market structure. It has to be based on more than that. But I, I absolutely have, as I've, I've said this before, the best way I can describe it is I am trading. I am a lower time frame trader, most, almost 90% of the time, 80 to 90% of the time. But I, I make sure that I have somewhat of a generalist approach and feel for the market. So, that I can take advantage of larger, longer moves, whether they're momentum or narrative driven, or you know, we're just in a period of the market in a like market-wide rising tide sort of situation. Yeah, I, I I've been doing this for a while though, and I came to crypto originally just swing trading. So mm -hmm. I was I was trading um, equity index futures and crude oil the way that I'm trading crypto now but I didn't have time to trade crypto actively. So I was just swing trading crypto because it was a good momentum trade. So go figure. I made it. Yeah, but it, yeah, but it seems really hard to switch between uh, scalping and swinging because it's really different. Like, it is. But for me, it is, it is really hard. Well, yeah, I've been doing this now for going on 13 years. And, and bo both, uh, is that successful? So, so the swings are hitting the same like your low, low time frames or I'm more interested in in trades that have lower time frames. So mm -hmm. I don't mean just looking at I don't when I say that I don't mean looking at one minute chart. I mean my trades, you might call them a swing, but they're intraday swings. They're maybe a couple days at most, but mm -hmm. it's all very short term oriented. So it's it's not like lower time frame, like I'm trading a tick chart always. Right. That sometimes might be the case when the market's ripping and like today or when we have a ton of volatility and I trade a lot. But when I say lo low time frame trader, I'm, I'm more so mean lower time horizon. And when it comes to maximizing profit, what do you think the, the best one? Low time frame or scalping or something like that? Uh, I mean, this is there's no set answer. There's a, lot if... of people that, there's a lot of people that argue that swing trading is because you know, you have the largest returns, but then there's plenty of cases to be made for scalping and, and lower time frame trading because you could compound very quickly in a market that allows you to compound 
more than any other market just because the amount of opportunities that exist whenever the market is attractive. Um, so I don't, like I said, there's no right answer. It all comes down to. Yeah. So I have to see myself on yeah, exactly. back testing. It. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. What I will say lastly, and then I got to wrap this up okay. is that when you're a shorter term trader, you're, you are accepting that you are leaving money on the table no matter what, because I, ideally what you want to do is do something repeatable, right? And that you find an edge in, you could back up statistically. Um, but when you're shorter term, you're guaranteed to leave things on the table and you just have to get, you have to get over that and be able to move on to the next thing. What you don't want to do is be a shorter term trader, have get out of a trade based on whatever your system is, and then see that you gave out, you got out early to what is a longer term trade and then start trying to change mid flight, right? Like try to change course and approach in that moment. And then, you know, kind of trip yourself up because as the shorter term trader, you're going to guaranteed you're going to leave money on the table. Like the entire bull market, I was selling things for what was really great returns, but it was like, I was selling at three, four, five X. That's awesome. Right. But these things went 20, 30 X. But I just knew, okay, this is something, this is how I am. Like I can't hold on to something for a really long time because that implies, honestly, if you hold something for, for months in crypto, it kind of implies that you don't have great risk management because good risk management means that at some point within the trend, I don't care what asset it is, anything that went up for two, three months, at some point there were plenty of reasons probably to get out of that or take some off. So it's almost like you get lucky by accident sometimes and you have a position on that stays on for a long time. But I know like, okay, I'm not going to catch 10, 20 X's. I'm going to try to compound two, three, four, five X's, which even that sounds ridiculous to say, but during the bull market, like that's not ridiculous at all. Appreciate so, you, man. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too, man. All right, guys, I got to wrap it up. That was uh, short and sweet. I will go on tomorrow again. And um, that one lasts over an hour. But everyone have a, uh, a good evening. Don't die out there. Like I always say, don't die out there in the market. Um, it's an easy one to die in <laughs> the last couple of days. So count your blessings, stay safe, and I will talk to you guys tomorrow.